0: If you can't tell by the title, From Fullness to Bitterness to Fullness Again, this week we're going to be looking at Naomi in our series of people in the Bible who have lost a child. So far, we've talked about Adam and Eve, David and Bathsheba, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we spent the last two weeks looking at Job. The book of Ruth, it could have been called the book of Naomi because it starts with Naomi and it ends with Naomi. It starts out by telling us that Naomi moved with her husband, Elimelech, to a foreign land. They moved to Moab because there was a famine in the land. So it starts out by Naomi loses her home and all of her friends and her family as they move to a foreign place. And now, in Ruth chapter 1 verses 3 and 5, let me read this to you. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Kilian, those were her sons, also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Wow, talk about a hard life. It says here they had lived there, her husband died, her boys got married. After they lived there about 10 years, both her boys died. That means that she didn't have grandchildren. That means that Ruth, that was a long time to be childless, isn't it? Now, Naomi, it says that she went back to where it all started, and I think some of that has to do with, I mean, what kind of a future was there in a strange land? Her husband was gone. Her children were gone. Her daughters-in-law were Moabites. They weren't Israelites, so it just made sense. She could not see a future there in Moab, and she had heard that the fam was over back in Israel, So she was going back to where it all started. She was going home, where the Lord had originally met with her and her family. Naomi, in going back home, though, that meant that she was also losing her daughters-in-law because she insisted that they return to their families and find themselves husbands. Most of us know that as they started out and she really admonished them to go home, back to their families. Orpah said yes, and they hugged and kissed and said goodbye. And then Ruth gave that, you know, I'll go where you go, and your God will be my God, your people will be my people. We're very familiar, most of us, with that scripture. And I wonder, how relieved was it to Naomi that Ruth insisted on staying with her and going back to her homeland with her mother-in-law. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? When you really think about this. And it makes me wonder, did Ruth maybe understand somewhat the depth of Naomi's grief? They had both lost their husbands and Naomi had lost both of her sons. And even though Ruth didn't understand that kind of grief, she had never had children, which is its own kind of grief of child loss in in a sense it's it is a loss of a child that you never got to have so did Ruth decide she was going to stick with Naomi so maybe they could help each other with their deep grief the Bible doesn't say so but I think it's possible maybe was it because she knew that Naomi didn't have a husband or any sons to take care of her so Ruth was determined to take care of her Whatever the reason was, it seems like Ruth wanted to serve Naomi, and she even committed to serving Naomi's God, even though Naomi's God had allowed so much tragedy in Naomi's life. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Ruth saw everything that happened to Naomi, and yet Ruth is willing to commit to Naomi's God. So something in those 10 years had to have given Ruth the belief that Yahweh was the true God, and she made the decision that she was going to serve him with Naomi. Now, when they get back into Israel and back into Bethlehem, we're told people are, you know, saying, is this Naomi? She's come back. And she says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. She's pretty raw, isn't she? She just tells it exactly how she sees it. Is it possible that she felt like maybe God was punishing her for her and her husband leaving during the famine, not believing that God was going to provide for them? And then when she heard the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she went back there? Maybe she felt like God was punishing her for that. I hear from a lot of you that you question, is God punishing me for something? Is that why he allowed my child to die? And Naomi coming back with Ruth, things get really interesting. Even though Ruth had her own grief that she was dealing with, because she's now lost her husband, she's lost any chance of having children, she has now lost her own family because she left them to go to not what's a foreign land for her with her mother in law of all people. So here Ruth is living with Naomi, and she continues to serve her and take care of Naomi by doing what she can to provide food for them, by gleaning in the fields. And that was when they would follow the harvesters, the workers, and they would pick up from the ground what the workers missed, and they were allowed to keep that for themselves. So that's what she was doing. And this is where Ruth meets a man named Boaz. And she finds out from Naomi that he's a relative. So here we have Ruth, who is actually taking the place of the responsibility of Naomi's sons, because they were responsible for their mother after their father died, but now they died. And so it's like Ruth has stepped in to take that place of taking care of Naomi. And because Boaz has heard about Ruth. He's heard about her leaving her own gods and her own people to take care of Naomi and takes on their Yahweh, Jehovah God. So Boaz tells Ruth to keep gleaning in his fields. And he even instructs the workers to leave extra for her. And he has her join them at his table in the fields to eat lunch and have fresh water. I mean, he's just, he's looking after her, as she's looking after Naomi. And I believe it was Ruth's kindness that started healing Naomi's heart. Now, of course, no one could ever replace her sons. But Ruth's love and her care, even in Naomi's bitterness and blaming God, allowed Naomi to start seeing that maybe life was worth living again. To shorten the story here, Ruth and Boaz end up engaged and then married and they have a son together. And here's something I started wondering when I started looking at all of this. How did Naomi feel about Ruth and Boaz getting together? Because this was because her son had died. And so when they had a child, she was thrilled to be grandma, but this wasn't her biological child. I know. I, I know what it's like to look at my son-in-law's child, who was married to my daughter. And he gets remarried. And I'm, I'm looking at their child. And while I'm happy for him, I really am. I can't help but think it's because my daughter died that this child has life. It's a very, very strange thing. And here, as we continue looking at this story of what happened. Now, this is where I personally have a hard time relating to Naomi. Because after a while, when they went back to Israel, Naomi is the one who decided that Ruth needed a husband. She said in Ruth chapter 3 verse 1, Naomi told Ruth, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Naomi is the one who set Ruth and Boaz up together. How could she do that? I believe As I started praying about this, because it did kind of bug me somewhat, and I realized that I think it was because she wasn't holding on to Ruth as a way to hold on to her son. Does that make sense to you? She saw Ruth as her daughter. She wasn't holding on to Ruth as a way to keep holding on to her son, and I think that can make a big difference. She really did consider Ruth her daughter at that point. Now, most of us don't have that. If your story is like mine, if you have an adult child that passed away who was married, more often than not, your son-in-law or your daughter-in-law moves on with life, and they can even cut us out of their life and even cut us out of the lives of our grandchildren. We had that happen to us, and it was so painful. And we have our granddaughter back in our life, and and like I mentioned, I mean, he's remarried, and and they have two children together, and, and, you know, things have been restored. It will never be what it was, but things are restored. So most of us don't have a a daughter-in-law or a son-in-law that beyond the death of our child, it's like they're still our son or daughter. Ruth was extremely unusual in this. And the Lord renewed Naomi's life here. We see that. And Naomi was able to raise her grandson, like I said, who wasn't biologically hers. But based on the culture, Boaz is what's called a kinsman redeemer or a guardian redeemer. And so in his marrying Ruth, it was to continue the family line of Elimelech. And so legally, this child was Naomi's heir, even though it wasn't hers biologically. And just as a note, this baby was named Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, who is the father of David, King David. I think that's pretty cool. Now, Naomi realized an important truth that I think we need to realize also. And she states, may he, Boaz... Be blessed by Adonai, who has never stopped showing grace, neither to the living nor to the dead. See, even when Naomi was saying, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because my life is bitter, and God has done this to me, and he has, you know, just treated me terribly. And she's blaming God for all of this, and she's just as low as you can get. And eventually she gets to the point where she says that God has never stopped showing her grace. So even when she was in that deep, dark place, she couldn't see God's hand. She couldn't see his grace. But that did not mean that his hand was not still on her and at work in her life. And I think a lot of us are like Naomi in that sense you know, just call me bitter. Our life is bitter. There's no reason to live anymore. God's done this to me, and I don't want to be here anymore. And we don't realize that God's hand is still at work in our lives. We're trying to just survive, but God still wants us to thrive. I want to read, this comes from Lamentations chapter 3. I want to read this to you. It says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. And I just want to say that when we see the word hope in Scripture, It's not the kind of hope, the way we use it, like, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. When we see the word hope in the Word of God, it means a confident expectation. And so that last verse that I read, the Lord is good to those whose confident expectation is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. See, the Bible is full of men and women in traumatic, And tragic situations. And then we read and find out how God broke into their lives and made himself known and taught them how to walk with him, overcoming the pain in this world and to learn how to live a good life that goes beyond those tragic events and how to get even closer to him than we were ever before whatever happened in our lives. It might be helpful to you to think about your life as a book and you're in a chapter right now it's it's a bad chapter it's a dark chapter but it's a chapter it's not the entire story so how can you allow god to help you finish this chapter well, so that you don't have to stay here in this place of barely surviving any longer than necessary. I understand that grief is a place that overtakes us. And and at the beginning, those first couple of years, especially, it just takes us under. But we get to a point where we get to start choosing if we're going to stay a victim of this and stay in this dark, dark place. And I know sometimes when we're in that place, we want to come out, but we just can't find our way out. And just keep holding on to God because He is the way out. He has the hope that you need. Even if you can't see it, even if you can't feel it, He is still at work. He's always at work. His grace is always at work in your life. Let's go back to Naomi and Ruth. Naomi had someone, Ruth, to walk with her through the deepest, darkest part of her grief, someone who had faced her own darkness. And you may feel like you don't have that, but you do. That's why I'm here. That is why I've written so many books, and I write a monthly blog, and I send out a weekly Word of Hope email. That's why my husband, Dave, and I sold our house, and we live in a motorhome that we call the Hope Mobile, to make us mobile in providing support and resources to grieving parents. In other words, that's why GPS Hope exists, and there are other people out there who want to walk with you too, other people who have started ministries and organizations to try to bring hope. To grieving parents. So, I want to suggest and I want to encourage you instead of being bitter about the death of your child, allow God to step in and be God and do what only He can do, and that is to bring a healing to your soul. And yes, it takes so much longer than we want it to, than we wish it would. But he's working and he's doing it if you give it to him and allow him to be at work. And in the process, be determined not to let that happen to others who are coming up behind you who have lost their children. You can become someone else's Ruth. I have a friend, Doug Jensen. Some of you may know BJ and Doug Jensen. They have a ministry, Love in Motion, where they do sign language and they minister a lot to grieving parents. And this is something that Doug wrote about this story of Ruth and Naomi. He says, what a great example for those of us in grief to love and assist other grievers in spite of our own grief, or perhaps not in spite of our grief, but because of our grief, we are highly qualified to help another parent whose child has died. We know the pain of grief, the feelings of hopelessness, helplessness, and aloneness. We who are in grief have a tenderized heart for those who have suffered a similar loss. Ruth's love for her mother-in-law was greater than her love for herself, and she made a commitment to stay with Naomi and love her during her grief. This in spite of the fact that Ruth herself was in grief because her husband had died and she was childless. Ruth was blessed by choosing to give up self and love Naomi, no matter what the circumstances. We also will be blessed by the Lord for loving someone who is grieving. In a sense, we partner with God to be a redeemer of another person's life, redeeming the useful years of life and helping to restore their hopeful outlook in life. Ruth's love and care of Naomi changed Naomi. She was redeemed from her bitterness, her anger toward God, and her perpetual grief. Naomi's attitude slowly changed over time. She no longer focused on her own grief and bitterness as much. Instead, she started to open her eyes to Ruth's kindness. Finally, Naomi begins to find joy in life again, and she takes pleasure in blessing Ruth And Naomi herself is blessed because of her kindness to Ruth. In a nutshell, a Redeemer helps restore the useful years of someone's life. Ruth, in grief herself, became a Redeemer for Naomi. Ruth's love of Naomi and faithfulness in helping Naomi changed her life from bitterness and grief to love and redemption. Naomi's bitterness dissolved, and she began to live again by taking an interest in other people's lives. The story completed a full circle when Naomi became a redeemer of Ruth. Wow, isn't that beautiful? Did you realize how powerful this small four-chapter book in the Bible is to us as bereaved parents? This can be you. You can make that same full circle that Naomi did. I mentioned that here at GPS Hope that we're here to walk with you and to be your Ruth, or at least one of your Ruths. Many of you have reached out to us and let us know that all of this extra downtime for sheltering in place during the COVID-19 outbreak has made things even harder for you. You have too much time on your hands to think negatively about your loss, and it causes extra grief triggers. I've heard from several of you that you're using this time that you have to be at home, to go through your child's things. Some of you, you have left their things the same for years, and you're taking this time to start go through the rooms or go through boxes that you've never looked at. And it's causing triggers again, and it's hard. So to help with this, during the entire month of May, I'm going live on YouTube every day, Monday through Friday, with a different topic and a guest to discuss that topic. It's called Grieving Parents Sharing Hope Together. And some of the topics, we've already talked about Mother's Day and anger and grief. And you can find those on the GPS Hope YouTube channel. But some of the topics we're going to be getting into within, within this month, finding joy again, getting through the first two years, regret and guilt... That one's going to be with Doug and BJ. Doug is who I just quoted earlier. Uh, we're going to be talking about relationship stress, struggling to trust God, grief triggers, your changed identity. It just goes on. So to get a schedule, if you want a schedule of the topics, who the guest is, the times and the days of all of this, you can get a schedule by going to gpshope.org together and I'll have that link in the show notes for you. And now it's time for our birthday segment. First of all, we have Herman Joubert, who was born on May 5th and is forever 21. We have Adam Walker, who was born on May 6th and is forever 28. John Patrick Keck, was born on May 7th and is forever 23. Ashley Picaric was born on May 10th and is forever 24. And Sarah Wilbur was also born on May 10th and is forever 34. We celebrate with these families The day that these children came into the world and into their lives. And we rejoice with you that you had them in your lives for the time that you did. If you would like to have your child's birthday shared with the other listeners, all you have to do is go to gpshope.org slash birthdays. There will be a form there. You just fill it out, submit it, and I'll get the information. And I will add your child to... The birthday list and to our birthday segment, The Week of Their Birthday. I want to wrap up this episode with this last thought. 2 Corinthians 4 17 and 18 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I know that saying the death of our child is a light and momentary trouble. That is, I, I've been there. <laughs> it is not a light and momentary trouble. But the thing is, I want you to do more than just hold on. I want you to be one of us that learns how to live a full life again, because we know what is to come. Our view right now may not be that your trial and your suffering is light and momentary. I think all of us struggle with that when we've had a child die. But in the scheme of eternity, it will be. Knowing what is to come doesn't necessarily diminish the pain, but it increases our hope. And remember, hope is a confident, expectation. And so it increases our hope in the midst of the pain and the trial and the suffering that we're going through. So with that, remember to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.